We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now, on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Today, I am thrilled to bring back my friend, Dr. Sabina Stent, a freelance writer and speaker from Birmingham, UK, who specializes in women artists, surrealism, and visual culture. Sabina's interests include the feminist, surrealist, avant-garde, artist lives and legacies, cinematic subversion, historical true crime, and surrealism in Los Angeles. She has lectured online and in person for the Philosophical Research Society, Morbid Anatomy Museum, The Last Tuesday Society, and the London Drawing Group. Her bylines include Magnum Photos, Crime Reads, and an other magazine. Additionally, Sabina has contributed to chapters to academic textbooks and written the liner notes essays for blu-ray releases from the film distributors indicator and vinegar syndrome she is also the author of the substack newsletter love letters during a nightmare sabina thank you so much for being here how are you doing and how is summer treating you so far Hey Jen, thank you for having me back today. Um, it's been yeah, it's been good. It doesn't feel like it's fully summer yet in Birmingham. We've had some good weather, but it's a little bit overcast today. So hopefully, we have more sunshine on the way. But yeah, it hasn't been it hasn't been too bad. Thank you. What about yourself? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's getting really good. hot here in Phoenix. We're recording this around um, the 4th of July weekend in the States here. So it's getting into the 115s, close to the 120s. So getting a little too warm, but, um, you know, that it is what it is. But just keeping busy, staying inside, we kind of hibernate. It's like our winter. So we watch a lot oh. of movies in the summer, which is always a good thing. And I loved revisiting these films you chose. Have awesome. you been watching anything good lately? Um, I've been, I rewatched True Detective recently. I did the whole, I binged the entire run again. Like, I especially love the first series. Um, at the minute, I'm re-watching Mad Men, so, which is always a fun revisit. Um, 
So that's been about it, really. Probably more TV oriented than films, but it's been so fun to revisit these movies. Um, um, and like we've we've been wanting to talk about American Animals for, for quite some time, so it's nice yes. to kind of. And we were, we was, didn't know what theme to to gear it to, and um, so yeah, I think we've I think we've got a good bag that kind of all connect in some ways. So um, I'm yeah, looking forward to kind of getting into it with you. Yes, I know. I was so excited because back in 2018. I loved American Animals. I reviewed it, wrote a huge thing, and just it was like one of my favorite movies of the year. And so I was always excited to find people who agreed and also loved it. So I knew your background with art and just thought you would be perfect for this. So I was excited. We were first thinking like art and heists. And then, you know, the only other movie I could come up with was like Painter and the Thief, which is a documentary. I mean, it would have been an interesting double, but I think this is really cool to look at heist films. I did a heist films episode a few years ago with crime writer Mm. Nikki Dolson, but it was different films. So I think this will be especially good. What is it about heist movies you think that makes them so compelling? I just think they're exciting. (laughs) I mean, there's something, I think they're so exciting. And I also think, they're so varied I mean when we were choosing the films for this one I was like running off and I mean there were so many other ones we could have included I mean Drive The Driver um Thomas Crown Affair you know both versions um but there's also like some of them just seem so slick and so cool and just so kind of like yeah I want to do that (laughs) (laughs) you know they just seem so beautifully choreographed sometimes and then other times they just go so kind of you think so wrong and you think oh my gosh why would anyone risk this but but then you know it's just a variation and then like you look at something like um Rafifi that we haven't included like that the French film with that eight minute silent safe cracking scene and it's like oh this is so beautifully done and um so yeah I just think it's like that kind of the way heist films are approached and I think there's something especially riveting about ones um like based on real life situations um and this is why and then the ones that take you down the especially like American Animals and um something like that that they it just pulls the rug out from under you at one point and you just you're there going huh what you know you just you leave and you're or you finish watching it and you're still thinking about it I think it's one that one especially is on the film set I you know I'm it's constantly going around in my mind yes because there's some there's some parts of it you always reassess when you watch it um and the cast is just so incredible so and I think that's one of the things that um is is uh, attractive about it because yeah. how did you how did you come to it because I'm so curious how you came to it if it was a similar way that I came to it American Animals, I was assigned it. I was reviewing oh. films um, 
I can't remember if it was for the Phoenix Film Fest at the time or just my website, but I was approached and got a screener link. And I remember there were a lot of movies out that same time that I really enjoyed. There was um, Juliet Naked. There was this. And I want to say, was it called We Are Animals? Something like that. Okay. Um, Let me Google that to make sure. It was, there were a bunch out around the same time. Yes. And um, so it was We Are Animals and American Animals. I want to say they came out the same week. And uh, oh, so gosh. <laughs> it was interesting, a uh, very different film that was a coming of age, uh, yeah. played at Sundance. And yeah, very different. But how did you first come to this film? Um, I think it was on film four in the UK. We have a great channel, film four, and they show a lot of film for like productions or ones that they have backed themselves um and I think it was on kind of late one one night and um I kind of recorded it or I suppose it's like the equivalent of TVO in it because yeah. we have we don't have you know it's TVO TVO um so I remember that and I I and I remember reading the synopsis thinking oh this sounds great you know this sounds so interesting like this 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 actual heist that happened these like three or four kids like pulled off um and I was just like this is brilliant this is so interesting (laughs) and I just but the thing I couldn't remember it like happening sometimes with films like this you think oh I remember when that happened and I just had no kind of I hadn't either yeah, yeah I don't know if it wasn't maybe maybe kind of documented in the here in the UK um and I, I just think it was just so well done. I mean, the, and it it's interesting as well because when I saw it, um, I think that was the first film I'd seen with with Barry Kewen. I, I can't. I, I, my Irish like pronunciation. I think same. Um, you're fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think that was the first film I'd seen him in. So obviously. Um, I was just thinking, oh, this kid is fantastic. He's got such a good face. He's going to be yes. brilliant. And what I'm really looking forward to um, seeing him in next. I can't remember if that was the first thing I'd seen Evan Peters in. Um, so, um, and obviously he's always like brilliant to watch. But for God's sake, someone put that kid in a rom-com or something good. Give him I something like, yeah. like to do. I mean, his therapy bills must be extremely extortionate because he's always playing. I was I said this the other day. I said that kid has played David Koresh. He's played, you know, he's played um Thingy. Um, Ted is yeah, he's played uh Ted Bundy. He's played not not Ted Bundy, sorry. Sorry, we'll go back. <laughs> sorry. Um, he's played David Koresh, he's played Jeffrey Dahmer, he has played Jim Jones, he's played Charles Manson. I'm like, gosh, you know, get away from Ryan Murphy and <laughs> yes. do something. Please, you know, please for your own sanity. He's great. And something like this, I mean, Warren Ditka is kind of bit of a loose canon in some ways which and it's interesting to see how he's played him in the real Warren Litka um but obviously it's nice to see him do these roles that are based on real people and and things like that so I just I just hope he does something I hope he gets away from these characters because you know he's so good um and it's a great dynamic with the cast and it's and I just 
keeps you on your toes. And I think that's what something, and I remember, I remember watching it going, this film is brilliant. Why is no one? And then every time you bring it up to people, either like yourself, that they're like, yeah, that film is so good. Or they don't have a clue about it. So it's, it's kind of us trying to spread the, the words a little bit about yeah. American animals. And the <laughs> that was part of the American reason. animals. Yeah. 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 One of the incentives for us to pick it today. <laughs> exactly. And I love what you were saying. I think Evan Peters, I was first exposed to on American Horror Story. And I remember mm. thinking he was just um, phenomenal on that series, even yes. when the show wasn't that great. And I agree with you. Mm. He is such a good character actor. When I was describing yeah. this to somebody else who hadn't seen it, and I was saying, you know, it stars this kid, Evan Peters. I was saying, you know, he's basically like the Ben Foster of his era where <laughs> yeah. they, they don't yeah. really know how to use him correctly in things or else he's kind of typecast. But he has mm. that level of talent where yes. it's just like this kid is going places a mm. berry is so good in these heartbreaking roles my goodness yes. it's like you watch this and we should probably tell people who are listening it is about four college students who um, decide basically out of the blue they just it's there they kind of throw it around they're waiting for their lives to begin uh, to rob the Transylvania library the rare books for a 12 million dollar uh, payday or they think if they steal these rare books they come up with a perfect plan they go to blockbuster they you know rent a bunch of heist movies they want to like be in one of these heist movies essentially they, they watch in Re- Rafifi at one yeah and that's one thing i you know i agree with you i don't think that these um this heist i don't remember it at all now i was going to college around this time when it took place which was slightly after the, uh, the millennium and so i might have missed the news but i didn't remember hearing about this just like the bling ring which is another film we chose also based yeah. in fact i remember hearing a little about that but i guess it, it didn't really capture my attention very much it just seemed yeah um not of my interest and so i loved seeing this i think one thing that uh bart layton the filmmaker did so well with this is he combined his he used his old uh documentary background and combined interviews with the real people and then with the fictionalized, you know, version of events, or actually it is very rooted in fact, but with the actors reenacting what happens. So you have this sort of sense of doom right from the beginning. Cause you hear some sound bites with their parents and teachers, like, you know, I woke up in a nightmare when this happened. So you know this doesn't go well. Kind of that thing with like a perfect plan. I rewatched uh, Bottle Rocket this week and they come up with the perfect plan and then like everything goes wrong. And at one point, you know, what happened to the plan, man? You know, like it, it goes wrong when you you yeah. enter um, unpredictable real life situations. And so everything goes wrong. We see exactly what happens with these kids. And, you know, it's heartbreaking. It's funny. It's weird. It's uh, kind of postmodern the way it blends all of these things. It has the best soundtrack, too. So many. Oh, the soundtrack seems incredible. The soundtrack is so good. I know. Do you have a favorite, like, um, scene or use of music at all? I love the beginning. I'm alive when that's playing. I love that because it's just so, you, you see, you know, there's, it's just so nice and it's just so 
fun and you can see that a lot of it is just what they're doing is kind of being improvised especially yes. in the car you can see you know a kind of like you know sometimes they say that when actors like get together and they're just kind of like you can see like there's a, a bond of sorts between them you know you can see they're getting you know um like Evan Peters and Barry, they get you know they really get in on, and you can see sometimes what you know you're thinking. Oh yeah, they're breaking character. There. <laughs> That's yeah. just so fun. And then I love obviously the end um, when the when the last season, the, you know, Neil by Fire and Leonard Cohen. That is just oh such a, a gorgeous, gorgeous arrest that you see. And I think it's one of the most beautifully done. And this is not a spoiler, by the way. This is kind no, of, no. you know, it's it's kind of it. Ha- you know, we we understand their fate is doomed from the beginning of yeah. the film. Um, and I just think it's a oh, one of the most beautiful, you know, kind of arrest scenes that the um that's I've seen um and I uh, yeah the use of the soundtrack is 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 beautiful and I think it just every song just fits the scene um so well I can't imagine the budget for this yeah I know I and I I do like the 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 very very end when you're when they're saying you know what happened to yeah the real the real kids um and I've actually I have the audio book that um that was written that um because um Eric Borsuk who's obviously seen the film he wrote a book he wrote like the book of this and that's um I think about Leighton had read the book and started corresponding with these kids while they were doing their their sentence because they oh, were wow. you know obviously they were they were incarcerated and I think he kind of forged this kind of um friendship with them. Um, during their during their tenure, um, because they got seven years of doing yes. what they did, and even though you read, you think, how did they get seven years? <laughs> because you know, it, it's not exactly that they made they made out with you know a lot mm-hmm. of things, um, and I um yeah, so I think that's how about Leighton came to the story that he'd read the book, and so. Um, and as you say, it's done so well, that kind of combination of, of documentary and fact and the way it plays with false memories because, you know, as you get close to the end, you're thinking you're hearing one thing and then you're seeing another and then you're you're kind of thinking, well, what, what, what did happen? What did happen? It's like he said, he said. So, um, yeah, I just, I just love it. I just love it so much. I think yeah. it's really, really good. I know it's good. It uses kind of the nonlinear storytelling yes. that we see in Reservoir Dogs, um, which is was another influence for sure. I love that you oh, brought yes. up the Who by Fire, Leonard Cohen. Mm. When I brought this movie up on Twitter recently, um, the author, Adrian uh, McKinty, kind of chimed in. He said that was like the ultimate scene, exactly what yes. you were saying, uh, the arrest scene. So just the best use of that best needle drop of Leonard Cohen is uh, at the end for sure. I think, you know, this is really, I love what you were saying too about the ensemble, because I think that's one of the things that uh, appeals to me as somebody who loves character actors about heist movies is it's kind of this alchemy of put all of these talented people who are enjoying each other's company and who are um, kind of playing off each other and riffing and see yeah. what you get. And so uh, there's always a big ensemble and in, in these movies. Um, 
And, you know, it's like it starts out, they think they're in the Italian job or Thomas Crown Affair or Ocean's Eleven, and they are most definitely not. And so it is heartbreaking because it just shows you to the futility and like, why are they doing this? Just to have something to do kind of reminded me when I wrote the review of American Beauty, just the line in that movie about there's nothing worse than being ordinary, which Mm. is kind of um, what these kids seem to be doing. They're waiting for their lives to begin. They think, you know, they're not special or they're stuck in the Midwest or they need some kind of quest or purpose. And also it it shows you, um, you know, a dynamic there's going to be one leader and he's charismatic. And that is, of course, the Evan Peters character. And then they bring other people into this equation. And, you know, the little rivalries, you get four guys, nobody wants to back down. Um, you know, and it's also just amazing to me, the disguises. At one point, these guys uh, yes. <laughs> decided yes. to disguise themselves as senior men. Uh, so they go in with their beards and their gray and their whiskers. And it it's just amazing to me. Uh, they're talented individuals. Like uh, the character or the real life person that Barry is playing is an artist. And when you see his actual paintings, he's incredible. He's a very good artist. Yes. Yeah. He yeah. Now makes his he's, living he's as an excellent. artist. Yeah. 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 And so it, but, it's, and specializing in specializing in birds, which, which is in the books incredible. that they was yeah, they were stealing were were to do with <laughs> to do with birds, to do with all these different types of uh yeah, um just beautiful big birds. And so uh, I know there's a there's more of a technical term that's completely gone out of my head. And so that's even one of these interesting things about it. They're stealing, you know, books about things that would become his profession because yes. <laughs> that's how he got into this university was on was on an art scholarship and then um Warren Lipka who's at Evan Peters characters get getting on a, on a like an athletic scholarship um I know. at different universities um so these were kids with like good futures ahead of them and it's just yeah. like they became infamous and they're not bad kids this thing you think this you think you know they were they were young and they were kind of doing something foolish but they weren't necessarily bad kids and I think that's what's emphasized in the film by the parents my everyone so they weren't bad kids and then when they realized that kind of the weight of what they did and the weight of what they did isn't necessarily because they tried to steal it's because of kind of holding the librarian Mm-hmm. you know hostage and I and that weighs on them more and they don't necessarily they, you know they they kind of tie her up but they don't hurt her as any psychologically they hurt her obviously um and well, the weight easier, of that I think too. yeah 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 and the weight of that has more of yes. an effect on them I, I think than, than the actual actions of stealing the thing because you know at the end they're kind of really really you know so upset and they say we, we, you know, I'm so, you know, I can't, but, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, that's the biggest regret, you know, was, was yes. that we, you know, we hurt her and, and she's, you know, her reaction, her, you know, kind of in hindsight, oh, you know, yes. she's just so, she was just awesome. <laughs> she's just yeah. so, um, but yeah, you can see they're kind of having to live with the weight of that. What they did. Yeah. yeah. Of to, you know, to her. And so, and, Someone who's like their mom. Yeah. 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 
And yeah. you can see there's that interesting point um, after that, after the, you know that situation when um, you know they're try they're trying to get into trouble. They want someone to apprehend them. That you know, mm-hmm. whether through like stealing things in the grocery store, picking on someone in a bar, they're trying to get arrested, not necessarily you know, or just trying to have some sort of you know police intervention, not. You know, just just because they're living like with the guilt, so and, and they haven't been found out yet. So, I think as a as a you know as an examination, you know, as a high school, it's fantastic, but it's also so interesting because like um, as yeah. a depiction of human behaviour and guilt and and just anxiety and just what making huge yeah, and just like making stupid mistakes that have lifelong repercussions on these these kids. Yeah, like using a real phone number that would be easy to trace yes. or an email address, <laughs> yes. that kind of thing that would be yeah. to track them right down. Kind of that line like in the usual suspects about how to spot a murder or, you know, the people who fall asleep when you apprehend them because they're so, you know, they've been so worried they were going to get caught and then they're finally caught and they think, okay, I'm done, you know, like the anxiety of yes. the, the aftermath of the crime. And so uh, you kind of have that situation of what this did. Uh, you brought up the librarian that's Anne yeah. Dowd. And I remember when I saw this, um, she's phenomenal in the film. Um, yes. This was around the time of The Handmaid's Tale. So you saw like a totally Ooh. different side of her in that. And then uh, you see her as just this nice uh, professional librarian who's so courteous and, you know, good at her job. And they just mm-hmm. they don't want to hurt her because like it could be one of their moms essentially i mean that would be the yeah. right age and so yeah mm-hmm. and i liked that you know um even the peripheral like you do have udo kerr in here um it's a great also- great but great like character actor yes. Udo Kerr, fantastic and to see him in this and he doesn't do a lot but what he does he does as usual very very well <laughs> I know. I love that, too, because it would have been, you know, if they would have just loaded this with people that you recognize from the genre, like Michael Caine and these kind of figures, it would be one thing. It would kind of take you out of it. But even though you know his his film background and, like I said, with Ann Dowd and Evan Peters on American Horror Story, it's still people who are uh, unique enough that you do buy this reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's yeah. yeah, you just get sucked into it, and it's and it keeps you guessing. And it, I I still think about this film all the time. It's, yes, yes. Which one would you like to go to next? Should we stick with real life and go to the bling ring? Yeah, let's do that. Let's which do that? Which tenth anniversary? Turned, yeah. Yes, just turned ten. I loved seeing some of the behind the scenes photos on Sofia Coppola's Instagram now that she's on Instagram folks so if you didn't know that uh, be sure you check it out um, this is one that I remember talking to Roxana Haddadi about mm-hmm. when we did uh, Sofia's complete filmography a few years ago and that was a lot of fun uh, but it had been a while so I was very excited to revisit this one I think it is underrated I think mm. um, it's Sophia working in a different vein like she even joked you know she's kind of known for uh, having like good taste or a certain type <laughs> of taste and then here she just got to 
be one of the, you know, um, reality type uh, women of the era and just kind of go for it. And, you know, all of the the lingo and the social media. And it's these kids who are a product of their time, like they're in Calabasas at the same time the Kardashians are and probably thinking, why aren't we the Kardashians? And we should also say this does kind of tie in uh, in that respect. Um, Blake Jenner had a small role in um, the last movie. But this is sort of uh, these people, Bling Ring was based on a real um, incident of these teenagers just sort of figuring out when celebrities weren't going to be home and uh, going and just helping themselves to whatever was in their house, finding keys under mats. And also it kind of shows you like their cavalier attitude, but also celebrities not really thinking that this could happen to them. So it's kind of um, looking at it from a few different angles. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I find that I think I really... I think now I have I, I remember I had, had seen it years ago and rewatched in that time. And but when I rewatched it for this, I found I really enjoyed it. Probably the most I'd, I'd enjoyed yes. it yet so far. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's such a product of its time in that I used to, my mum used to have a news agent. So I used to read a lot of like in the, in the late nineties and the early two thousands. Um, so I used to read like the, she used to get like the inquirer and stuff like that. <laughs> so I used to read like, a lot of that stuff and so obviously I knew who Paris Hilton was I think the simple life was on during that time I knew about the hills even though I I didn't watch the hills until afterwards um until maybe you know and until I didn't watch the hills at the time it aired but I knew about it so and I just remember it's such a product of its time in that they're looking on the internet and these celebrities like um, Misha Barton who's in the OC who that was on, I think, when I was at school that I was obviously yeah, so aware I remember of. watching that yeah. in college. Yeah. And um, Audrina Partridge, who was in The Hills, and Paris Hilton, obviously. And that they would say, oh, they're going to this party tonight. And it was on, like, Radar Online or it was on Perez Hilton or something like that. And, you know, it's just some of the the images that were shown like in the film and like some of the the you know the photos I was thinking I remember when this happened and I think I just had some sort of weird you know flashback of it um but I just think it was so cool that Paris Hilton who's obviously house they robbed she was opened her house for the filming she's just like yeah you can film it in my house they robbed my house but hey you here's the (laughs) welcome the film crew and I just think she's really, she's like so cool and she's so open in, in that respect because she could have said, I want nothing to do with this film, obviously. Um, but yeah. she was super it made accommodating. Me like, her. Um, like, I'm not oh, that yeah. I had an, an aversion to her. I actually don't really watch reality television. So I never saw The Simple Life. I never saw The Hills or any of these things. But, you know, yeah. you'd hear stories about Paris Hilton or that's hot or you'd hear all the catchphrases. Yeah. And so I, I had this like idea of her. But then on the DVD for The Bling Ring, there was this behind the scenes thing of of her opening her house and giving a tour and talking about what happened. And, you know, and she was just so, um, you know, that you could tell how much this affected her and how open she was mm. and had a sense of humor about 
her own um, security issues and also kind of, you know, the, the horror of they almost walked away with her dog. And oh, gosh, you just, yeah. yeah. And I remember seeing that and thinking, boy, you know, she actually, she's grown up and uh, she's really interested. Not that you think somebody is one dimensional. I never want to do that, but I did mm-hmm. like seeing that. And I guess some of the other participants but I don't know which ones did let Sophia and company film in their uh residences I don't know uh which is which yeah I I think only Paris Hilton maybe was the one that um, the main yeah that uh, I think I'm not sure if they yeah yeah, I'm not sure if anyone else did it would have been maybe but obviously people had moved since I imagine because I can't imagine going back yeah yeah, it's scary when you see like they were just googling. Oh, where does so and so live? And that's what's I so mean, scary. I mean, Google Earth, yeah, yeah, and find exactly how to get into somebody's place, and it's, it's yeah. horrifying. And the cavalier, like you said, the cavalier attitude. Oh, yeah, they just leave their keys under the map because I suppose this was even like when the internet was obviously not like it is now. Social media wasn't really the thing at the time because it was it was set in the 90s wasn't it was it the 90s it was set no it, think, this or was, was it a bit later 2000s uh, early 2000s was it was set 2010 ish 2011 okay yeah the films too that i mean the actual crime was it 2010 or was it yeah the film? around there yeah, okay yeah. i couldn't yeah i couldn't oh, no, sure. you're fine um so yeah, you have that kind of stage of the, the like social media and Instagram not not having really the Reach effect it has. Yeah, yeah I, everyone was more text and kind of on the what was that phone called? The sidekicks and things like that. And, yes, um, I had a BlackBerry that I did. didn't know how to use. Yes, I had a BlackBerry. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, I was like was, a late adopter to the smartphone. I never wanted to be a phone person, and so uh, I yeah. had. A, I had a flip phone forever. And then uh, one of those uh, companies talked me into a BlackBerry. I just used it like a phone. So I didn't really use it for its capabilities. So. I know. I just use it for email like more than anything. <laughs> and I, I, I was like a late adopter to social media and, and things exactly. like that. So, and I, I mean, we're fine because of it. We're making up for it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, but also, um, one of the the I I was just obviously that's something that I I forgot to mention. Um, Thaisa is it Fami Fami like Vera Fami yeah, oh, yes, half sister from American Horror Story with Evan Peters. They were co-stars at one point. Yes. Um. So it's it's interesting these overlaps and obviously Emma Watson at the time she was Hermione Phenomenal. Granger. Yeah. So she's playing you know kind of this you know this LA kind of valley girl type character who's homeschooled by the the mom who's lesbian who believes in the secret yes yeah she, her whole kind of homeschooling philosophy is based on the secret which is just like, hilarious yeah but the secret was everywhere then at that time I mean it's like I'm sure we had a I remember in. people <laughs> I didn't yeah. read it but I remember yeah. people reading it everywhere it's so, yeah. yeah it is just a very like a, a a time capsule movie for sure uh, of this yeah. uh, period but i like what you were pointing out like uh with social media cuz teens would know how to manipulate the system maybe yes. more than some of the, the celebrities um mm-hmm. who are on it but they might have their people be on it uh and, for them and not know exactly 
how this could all be used. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's a really interesting, I love Emma Watson in this movie because there's this line that Tina Fey said when she was talking about Mean Girls and she was talking about Rachel McAdams being so good and she's Mm. like, you need a girl who's actually that nice to play a mean girl. And so you need somebody as smart as we know Emma Watson is to play kind of an airhead. And so um, she is just so great. I think the actor playing Mark, the main character, uh, Israel Broussard, is really good. He was based on Nick Pujol, if I'm pronouncing Mm -hmm. that correctly. Um, I also love that... uh, you know, there's people playing themselves. You have some past, you see a cameo of Paris Hilton, Kirsten Dunst, who's been in, of course, other Sofia Coppola movies. You also have Gavin Rossdale of Bush. <laughs> he's just easy, you know, He's so good. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah. that was a time around the time when he was like getting into acting because he was in um, Constantine as well. Oh, so, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So it's it's always funny with like some Gavin Rossdale pop up in like these <laughs> like, that's late, random. Yeah. yeah, in these like late 90s, early like kind of 2000s, you know, films. Um, so you forget he had like this kind of because you think, what did he do besides Constantine? Um, then you're like, oh, yeah, it's been great. So that was yeah. fun to, to see him just pop up. Um, and yeah, I'm old enough good. that like my yeah. friend's sister named her kid Gavin after Gavin oh, Rossdale wow. Bush back in the 90s. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they were huge. They yes. Were, like, still, yeah. I mean, they're probably still going. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Bush, okay. I think they're still going. I think I saw like, I'm pretty sure I saw like a tour or something yeah they're still going wow yeah so um yeah it's still still chugging away so many 90s bands like that you know still going maybe with a different kind of lineup um but yeah yeah they're still at it um but this one this one is like a fun one it's like you were saying it's it's kind of the la um kind of you know version of of american animals maybe more female yes. because obviously they, they want the jewelry they want the handbags they want sunglasses even though the guys do want some of this the swag as well mm-hmm. um but it, it's just such a kind of i think it's such a product of its of, of its times in that it captures that kind of you know um this kind of time of of celebrity culture so well um it's even just like the kind of juicy couture tracksuits that were everywhere oh, yes. at that at that time um so it it's it's like a time capsule of a film but it's it's really it's fun but obviously i love the soundtrack too yeah the soundtrack yeah. so good i mean sophia coppola always has really good soundtracks yes. <laughs> yeah it opens with crown on the ground which kind of yeah. sounds like a siren i remember when I was playing this, uh, my mom was in the next room. This was back when it was new. And my stereo was a little bit loud. And she's like, what is that noise? It's <laughs> like a siren. And it was perfect because yeah, I'm hopping over a fence. So I love that she doesn't want... I know that there was a lot of criticism when this came out, like on the morality. And is she taking a big enough stand? But she's just putting you 
into their shoes and also kind of commenting on teens wanting to be uh, a celebrity and fame and also just the vacuousness of fame and the Mm -hmm. consumerism. I mean, some of these people had no idea they were being robbed because they had so much uh, shit in their house. But I love that this opens with um, a shot of like, no, they are straight up burglars and uh, just how creepy it is. Like, I remember coming face to face with somebody several years ago who was trying to get into my house and how scary that was. And I got like security installed that day. And I'm just thinking, what would that be like? I would want to move. I would want, yeah, um, it would be really eerie. And then at the end, you find out that the Emma Watson character was actually in LA County uh, for a month with Lindsay Lohan, who's how she rocks. (laughs) Which they were in the yeah. same cell block, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's only in LA. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's like you were saying, it's about that kind of, you know, how scary it was. That, that the whole, yeah. when I think of the film, I think of that line, I want to rob. You know, yeah. that's the whole, like, that's kind of, you know, the, the whole thing of the film is they just want to rob. They, they, yeah. they yeah, that's, that's all they want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if if anyone was to question, you know, like you were saying about the Sophia Carpenter was maybe wasn't maybe pulled up for, because of the morality. It's like she doesn't need to. That is no. that is everything there is. That is it. That is her comment right there. I mean, yes. that says that says everything about about the film. <laughs> yeah, they, they think they're posing like it's yeah. like an Instagram photo where you're trying on a different identity for the night. And they don't realize that by trying on these other, like, I'm going to go rob a house. It's, you know, this isn't just something cute to do for social media, you guys. Like, this is criminal behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's a good one. (laughs) It is a really good one, for sure. I couldn't believe it had turned 10. Um, You know, time is flying, Sabina. This As we're recording this, like, this week out of sight turned 25 which was crazy yeah which kind of brings us to our next one another Soderbergh Oceans 11 which is kind of uh amazing because last time we were together having a conversation it was on Robert Downey Jr who was wonderful and we talked about Zodiac which had a past Mm -hmm. guest of ours uh Donald Logue uh from the podcast and a friend and then this uh Oceans 11 was written by Ted Griffin who was a past guest and was so open. I, I emailed him and he was just flattered and wanted me to uh, say thank you for, you know, and uh, was very open about it if we had any questions. And so I love being able to celebrate the work of uh, past guests. So Ocean's Eleven, Steven Soderbergh, a remake of the Rat Pack movie. Do you remember the first time you saw this one? Yeah, I think it was around the time it came out. Um, yeah. And because obviously the cast is so well known. And I think even though, you know, I think that was one of the, I think I was aware of the original, but I hadn't seen the original. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that this one you watch it and I think it's like when you watch it now, you just watch it and go, God, this is so cool. (laughs) It's so cool. It's just so slick. Um, Everything looks good. It's done so well. I mean, it's like we were saying that American Animals and the Bling Ring, they kind of have this, you know real like the realism is like is anchoring this and, and anchoring the films and it's like things go horribly wrong in in yeah. especially american animals this one is just like you know 
it makes you you know you think well if that puts you off robbing and you know so (laughs) gosh this is so clever and it's so smart and it's so slick and everything looks good the cast is so great there's so much there's so much charisma in this film I mean, it's crazy they're always like winking at you or it's tongue-in-cheek like you never are watching this worried oh somebody's gonna get killed or exactly gonna go terribly wrong no it's just you're (laughs) among this group you're having fun it's sort of a good time movie you could put it on as wallpaper in the background uh when you're watching it I wasn't as huge of a fan the first time I saw this one um it took a couple viewings probably Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great film, but the thing that was kind of throwing me the first time is just Soderbergh and his involvement. And I was wondering, like, well, this doesn't really feel like the previous films that I had seen by him. And I'm a huge fan, wrote my thesis on Sex, Lies and Videotape. So it was just like, what is he doing? Is this, you know, this is a total left hand turn. And then you watch it again and you like it more and you like it more. And so by now I, I really enjoy this film and it does feel like a Soderbergh film. But back then yes. I remember it was kind of throwing me. It was like, wait a sec, like they just, the studio hired a director for this. That's what it felt like. And it was um, kind of strange. I love the cinematography. Of course, he likes to um, shoot his own. And uh, the music by David Holmes is so good. Uh, Mm. You know, the cast is amazing. You have everybody from uh, Clooney, Pitts. You get Elliot Gould. So I like the the multi-generational appeal of the film. My one uh, issue is I'm a huge fan of Don Cheadle, but Don Cheadle and that accent is not great. He's even admitted that. Um, Uh, Yeah, I can understand. You as a British what is your thought about that? (laughs) Oh, it's 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 terrible. (laughs) Sorry (laughs) to say. It's just really annoying. I mean, I'm probably sound annoyed. And I also think it's that kind of this is going to sound really bad. It's like, you know, when American actors try and do British, but they try and do Cockney. So they're trying to yeah, do. They're going really, too hard into really, it. Yeah. They're going like Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins <laughs> kind of thing. It's that kind of accent. I mean, it's like, what, what is he trying to do? You know, just, yeah. just you know, I, I, yeah, I think that's always kind of. Dr- a little you know, grading. Yeah. Yeah. It ruins it a little bit. Um, yeah. But when you get past that, it, it's. Oh, kind yeah. Of, fine I mean and I also think it's it's fun you know obviously the use of a little less conversation which is used in when in American Animals they're trying to visualize how the heists will go and they're, they're know, kind of so that good. music with the reservoir dog suits so that's something else yeah that kind of showing they were in a movie yeah yes and that's how like it's so funny like you know reality every kind of I suppose I'm I'm pretty sure there've been other highs that have actually happened in life when they're using these these like blueprints from films. Um yeah. but going back to what you say it's like the uh, was Brad Pitt give like was he giving up smoking or something during this one because he's eating in most scenes and then there's always like eating either chips or is it having a like a he's got a a lollipop or something he always seems to be like <laughs> hand to mouth and I was thinking it was he quitting was it like during a time when he was quitting smoking because he that always seems to be like 
eating his whole way through this um, yeah which is I find really amusing yeah that's kind of a bit in the Fast and Furious movies yeah. too with the Han character is always eating junk food because yeah yeah he was a smoker and uh yeah usually when you quit smoking from friends I know or I'm not a smoker but like you do gain a little weight because you need yeah. something else to do with your mouth you know and your hands <laughs> Um, I I also like the mix of some of the character actor types in this or the lesser known like it's great to see Eddie Jemison who I think is yes. terrific uh, in this movie along with of course the the names you know Matt Damon and and Cheadle and Pitt and Clooney um, I love Andy Garcia is kind of uh, oh yes yes who is so good you know um, you get Julia Roberts uh, as the ex-wife of Clooney's character who is now with Andy Garcia and so you get to see these two you know gorgeous men who are kind of using uh, their jealousy over Julia and I think that's a lot of fun I, I get a kick out of the beginning and the cameos because that mm. feels a little bling ring uh, there's a scene where yes. Pitt is playing uh, poker with like CW actors like that kind of uh, type of actors you got Holly Marie Combs Topher Grace Joshua Jackson Barry Watson and Shane West and you know kind of like going around the table and then Matt Damon or no then Clooney comes in and <laughs> takes him to lunch essentially and uh you know cleans them out totally and I think that's really funny it's sort of uh that people playing cool versus really cool it's again a little like the yeah ring. yeah yeah sure. and it's all you know, and I just find I get a kick out of when he says well I want to rob the the Bellagio and then he goes <laughs> like you're out of your mind you know yeah it's just so funny because it's like yeah I'm gonna do that I'm gonna just rob the the you know the, one with the highest casinos. yeah yeah why not and um <laughs> just the bit when the actual robberies are carrying with a bit with the surveillance the video and the switches yes. and that's just it's just cool and um just the whole thing with uh um my pronunciation table is it Shabo uh Quinn Kin the guy who plays Yen, the contortionist. Oh, who's, the acrobat is yeah, great. Yeah, he's so, so, oh, it's fantastic. He's just, he's excellent. Um, very kind of um, underrated as, as a performer because he's so good. He does so much in this. Um, and it's just like you were saying, we were saying about chemistry between actors and um, obviously Julia Roberts and, and George Clooney have like they're such good friends yes. and you can see she's having such a good time like playing yes. like because when when she, she realizes what he's done you can see this tiny little smile and she's just like oh yeah <laughs> this is you know you can see she's having like um and it, it's so interesting then in is it in oceans 12 they're saying she looks a lot like julia roberts and that's so we haven't we're not talking about oceans 12 today but they're like there's one bit where they they want to get past uh isn't it some either reporters or security and so they're pretending she's julia roberts <laughs> just such a oh that is so funny that's really yeah. funny so yeah these ones are so they're just it's fun and it's funny and it's slick um and as you know, phenomenal cast, and it's like you say, you know, kind of, there's not going to be any kind of anything hard hitting with this. It's it's just such a good time film. 
Yes, like there is a scene where Clooney's character, everyone assumes, is being tortured in the back or beaten up by uh, Andy Garcia's thugs down below the ca- the casino because he's been sniffing around uh, his ex, and that's uh, Garcia's uh, woman, and it's actually somebody Clooney knows, and they're doing a fake staged uh, battle uh, where it's a beat down that isn't really a beat down, and so it's very <laughs> funny. Uh, Yes, I think this is great. I've only seen Oceans 12 and 13 like once when they were new. Mm. So I don't really remember those. I like I'm one of the rare weird people that really enjoyed Oceans 8. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for the same reason uh, as this movie, which is it's just, again, you know, nothing horrible is going to happen to them. They're just having fun and in each other's company. And you just get to see a crazy expert plan just play out and sort of like um, watching people for the pleasure of watching them, which is what I think these movies do very well. Yeah, Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of things going wrong and people really getting hurt, that's Reservoir Dogs, which is... Mm -hmm. Sort of a sort of one of the um, quintessential indie movies of the '90s. So, talk to me about that one. What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, I I love this one. I really, I mean, I've always been a big fan of Reservoir Dogs. Um, yes. I think uh, I used to always go before. Obviously, Tarantino has the filmography he does now. I was also very, I was very kind of, I prefer. I was always going back and forth which one I prefer between Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction because they're so different. I mean, Pulp Fiction is so slick and it's so cool and, you know, it's kind of um, almost like it's so pulpy. It's just – and you've got Reservoir Dogs, which is – such a simple premise you know mm-hmm. obviously the non the non-linear storyline was kind of really innovative I think I think for its obviously yeah. we had non-linear yeah. things before but it was so kind of wow you know it hasn't been done this kind of to this extent before um so and I just thought it it seems such it obviously it's his probably most one of his most or the most understated of his films um there's just something very cool about it very funny about it and obviously that kind of use of dialogue that Tarantino is is you know well known for um obviously some of the stuff seems a little bit you know wrong (laughs) some of the stuff that comes out you know like the 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 conversations um or some of the words used which obviously we you know yeah sort of thing but um yeah, I just I really like this one. I really like the cast. I really oh, the always cast like the is cast. Amazing. Yeah. I remember reading that Tim Roth was probably him. I think it was him and Hugh Laurie. Like obviously when Hugh Laurie did House, I like the only two British actors who successfully convinced American audiences that they were American or something because they were saying <laughs> they didn't realise they were they were British because they, they were kind of convincing. This could have been wrong, so don't don't quote me on this. Oh, no, I remember. I remember hearing that, like hearing that people said thought their accents were so convincing. And but obviously, it's the use of someone like Harvey Keitel, who we know, like this yeah. seasoned actor, um, Steve Buscemi, who's usually kind of the the comic, you know, the kind of comedic value. He's always playing, you know, especially um, 
you know, he's always playing these kind of Adam Sandler in these Adam Sandler films, and you know, yeah. so and he's still got these kind of quips of dialogue, but he's um, for him to do this film, and then um, obviously that scene with Michael Madsen that everything he's done since you're like he was Mr. Blonde he's he's you know what, what's he been in he was Mr. Blonde in Pulp Fiction yeah the yeah. ear scene you just say to people the ear scene and they know what you're talking about but again yeah. great great use of soundtrack you know to Oof, open up all those with 70s green, yeah oh so good like open up with green you know green onions um you know the oh, use little of, green bag yeah. yeah little green bag sorry um so and then the use of uh you know stuck in the middle with you which you think uh, <laughs> I can't hear that yeah. song now and not oh, think yeah. of this movie yeah it's so and sinister that scene. yeah Madsen has talked about and I guess some of the people that were there that day um the actor that he tortures who's playing the police officer uh ad-libbed the line of I have a little kid at home and yes. Michael Madsen almost couldn't do that scene because he just it was too much yes. I mean you know mm. actors doing these kind of things uh you know you are playing a part but at the end of the day you got to go home and think about what you did all day at work and just uh it's it's hard and so it was interesting because I think we watched this and we're like oh Madsen he always plays a villain like it doesn't bother him or anything and so that was interesting I love the dynamics Tim Roth's accent I can hear it a little bit in the vowels like some of them you know don't sound 100% but also you know I love uh Roth is my favorite character in the film actually I mean yeah you know, I think the first time you see it, you don't realize the twist that he is the undercover cop. And then you watch mm-hmm. it again and you realize it's, oh, it's a movie about performance. All of these people playing yes. a part, they're using fake names, which, you know, he took from taking a Pelham one, two, three, naming them after colors. And, um, you know, and so it's like, and he has to learn a monologue. So it's almost like an audition piece. And it's just, uh, you're listening for the pleasure again, just like pleasure in um, Ocean's Eleven for the pleasure of the dialogue. I I think this movie is so iconic. Uh, I was talking to a friend's son recently and uh, about his favorite actor is Harvey Keitel. And I was saying one of my favorite scenes is uh, when Keitel's in the front of the car and Roth is bleeding in the back of the car. And this weird thing that Keitel does with the, you're going to be okay. Yes. Like sings it. Sing song. Yeah. Yes. Like say the goddamn words. And it's just such a weird line read that is so singular. And so Harvey Keitel and, um, you know, and you have Chris Penn, who I love. You've got just he was all great, these yeah. great people. Um, you have Edward Bunker, who um, mm. was a criminal and wrote books and like became sort of an advisor on these films in the movie. You have Lord's Tierney, who Tarantino has joked everybody hated by the end of the first week. You know, <laughs> but he's such a legend in these films. Um, the movie itself, you know, he isn't really uh reinventing the wheel here it's like pieces of the killing and oh yeah Kansas City Confidential and Asphalt Jungle and Ringo Lamb City on Fire and all these other movies but the way he does it and uh the way he just unspools this narrative is incredible yeah it's also that that whole opening with the kind of trustees on tipping like when would you hear that i don't you know you're thinking 
what am I, you know, I'm in What am I watching? What yeah. am I watching? Is this other, what? This is meant to be a Biden film, but they're talking about tipping. There's a whole thing about the ethics of tipping. And you're just yeah. like thinking, and there's always that kind of, um, what's it called? Um, what's the, the word like, um, um, trivial dialogue that I remember yeah. like, with the whole thing in Pulp Fiction, like the, you know, they're just having a conversation. What do you call a cheeseburger? You know, it's just, and they're just talking as like normal, you know, people, talk yeah. these mundane conversations um that but it kind reveals. of yeah. yeah that kind of like punctuate things that are going to happen but it's mm -hmm. just just these random conversations and these kind of conversations that don't go anywhere but then they <laughs> they form such a a part of our lives that we just we do you know in, in when you people you talk about these things but um I just think it's when you were saying about the whole of Tim Roth's characters um, performing, and it's that yeah. whole thing with the wedding ring when he gets the wedding ring out of the the coins in his apartment, and yeah. um, and I was trying, I was looking at something online, and it was saying some people were saying, well, the wedding ring was the fact that if you if you wore a wedding, that people wear red, wedding ring, they're considered trustworthy or oh, you know, they're loyal or they have a sense of loyalty. So, you know, whether there was, it was for that reason or, or there was like an, I've also like read about people say, well, there's like a homoerotic sub, subtext between him and Kaitel because they're the two who seem to form the strongest bond yeah. and they're the two who know each other's na real names. Um, and then obviously at the end when we, you know. It's a little fight, intimate, yeah. Yeah, there, there is a, such a strong sense of int intimacy between them. And yeah. um, and he's like, obviously Harvey Kaitel's like saying, I'm the one responsible for this kid getting shot. I'm the one responsible. And, and so they don't like know anything about each other, but they form this such a strong bond um and um so it's like really interesting from that from that dynamic as well but um there was there was something what was else I was going to say about um you Inspired kind of by other movies or? yeah probably that was it that that you think oh that was it um because I think obviously this was filmed before Pulp Fiction but yeah. I think because it got such controversy at the time and I think I I think I read that the, when when obviously that line I've got a little kid at home I think I remember I don't know if it was a can or or just in general screenings like people walked out of the West Craven did yeah because they said oh gosh it was you know horrific but I think it was I I remember reading Pulp Fiction um, that this was banned in the UK for about three years because they didn't want it they believed it would incite violence and incite kind of these violent um, spurts of, of criminal activity. But then obviously because of the success of Pulp Fiction, they released yes. it. Um, but I mean, Pulp Fiction's violent, but from a, a, a pulpy perspective, even though it's super violent, I suppose this, again, you think it's, it's so kind of stripped back. The violence is so stark and so kind of... I mean, you see Tim Roth bleeds throughout his whole way throughout the film. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, you know, he's bleeding throughout, you know. He's, um, so I think there's that kind of kind of stripped backness, which it appeals to me as a as a like a as a one of these, you know, as a uh, kind of a heist film that things. But also, I was I was thinking this, thinking how can things. You know, when people say this wants to, you know, people, 
you know, might get some ideas. You think, really? You want to get... Um, I, <laughs> you want to be like you, you these want guys this? who all wind you up want... dead except Steve exactly. Buscemi yeah exactly I was going to say that is a great advert you know so, yeah. sort of thing so I think really you know it's it's I, I don't think people would but obviously people don't you know yeah. you don't know what everyone's like in this world um so I think, yeah I think yeah. it's it's such an interesting film in that respect and, and then come and then to watch how what films it was influenced by and which films it influenced. So yes. it's one of these like midpoint um, films for in this genre. kind of, for the genre, which is like really interesting. So, and then obviously it's been kind of that, that shot where, you know, pointing the, you know, pointing down at each other. The Mexican standoff. Yeah. Yeah. On the ground. And There's how often Sergio Leone. Yeah. yeah. And how often that's been kind of, but the Pulp Fiction version has been kind of replicated by so many, so many, I think even the Simpsons at one point did, it, did that. So, um, it's it's so interesting just this way it's touchstone (laughs) exactly yeah so it's it's yeah it's a good one to watch I think even in in comparison to the films we've talked about but also in terms of Tarantino's biography to see how things how things have changed and how some things haven't changed um so yeah Yeah, his obsessions and themes and also the motifs that he uses a lot of interesting stuff I think you brought up a really good point about the violence because it's sort of like psycho where you actually think you see something you don't see it's a trick of the eye uh, Mm. Trump Loy essentially like you're you think you see the the ear be sliced completely off but you just sort of see the before and the after I mean that's horrific enough but you're your mind fills in that blank like no I saw it it happened yeah I was convinced I saw I was convinced that you see him slicing because and then when I rewatched I was like oh no you don't but it's just that build up that anticipation that you know it's coming you can send something horrible it's gonna happen you just you don't in a way I think seeing it would probably divert it a little bit I think the fact that we know it went on is is just strong enough and yes that because just sees that and then like the kind of tossing it away like oh yeah oh yeah yeah Um, it's it's just such an affecting yeah yeah And it's also a film that, um, just like with Ocean's Eleven, uh, I appreciated more each time, or Bling Ring, sort of these movies you see different things. And I love uh, the little tip-offs he's giving you or the clues uh, that are all over uh, Reservoir Dogs when they're talking about, like, who's the traitor? You see the color orange a bunch. Like, there's a bunch Mm. of really fun little uh, Easter eggs and uh, clues. And you can tell, like, he is doing something as a filmmaker. Um, You know, this was a movie he was going to shoot for $30,000 in his backyard, essentially with a bunch of buddies. And his acting teacher gave it to his wife, who gave it to Keitel, and Keitel became a producer and then Mm -hmm. uh, signed on, and the rest is history. Uh, It is the one, I guess, Tony Scott wanted this or True Romance, and eventually it was, no, you choose one of the two, and Tarantino opted for this one, and I think it's very smart that he did. Um, I don't know that he would have had the same career had he gone with uh, True Romance as his debut, because I do think this is such a 
masculine, such a, you know, it is his aesthetic, uh, even though it's edited by Sally Menke and she is, was such a brilliant collaborator for him, but it is, uh, very much, uh, a movie about guys being guys, uh, but they're all very petty and jealous. And, uh, it's, it's fascinating to watch these dynamics. I wish I could have seen, I wonder if it's online somewhere, I guess in like 2012, I want to say LACMA did a, um, like a live reading at the script. Jason Reitman uh, was the director and they cast all black actors because, you know, that is something with Tarantino in all of his films. You're going to get white people using the N-word or using, mm. um, you know, expletives and horrible derogatory remarks about other races. And, you know, this is another one. And uh, so the line was, I want to say Fishburne or somebody who was in the live reading said, you know, uh, no, it was Aldous Mitchell. It was actually like this strips it back to what it should be because these guys just sound like uh, black dudes, according to Elvis Mitchell. So it would have been interesting to see um, or hear rather the way that this sounded um, with different actors uh, of a different race reading the dialogue. It would have been fascinating. I guess Patton Oswalt was the only white guy. He was one of the cops in the movie. I think the mentor cop. Uh, so yeah, it would have been an interesting experience. I wonder if that's online, but I love the film. I think it's brilliant. It's, iconic for the 90s it was part of that class of 92 at sundance that also included like allison anders and robert rodriguez and alexander rockwell and uh cat shea and yeah it's uh definitely a movie of its time all of these are yeah and it's still so watchable and still so good and are probably yes <laughs> classic you know be classics and we'll continue watching them and, and seeing something new every time we do yeah well i know exactly what you were saying earlier when we were talking about heist movies and how you could just like go on forever with this genre um are there any movies you want to recommend i know we brought up rafifi which we both love that you'd like to give a shout out to anyone listening to be sure to seek out if they enjoy these um i like the driver the one with yes. Ryan O'Neill, that's great. Walter Hill, that, that's, yeah. Yes, I think Walter, you can't go wrong with Walter Hill. I think that one is, is very good. And I think, I don't know if people think, you know, probably would prefer to watch Drive, which is something kind of similar in a way. They're both about getaway drivers. But I think Driver is, the driver just has, you know, it has a, it's it's Walter Hill and, and that is good. I think that's a really, it's such a 70s film and it's such a good film. Um, yeah, stripped and, down and again. I think, yeah, and I think there's something really like refreshing to see something like that that hasn't necessarily got anything showy about it and it's just yes. um, just good. Um, I can't think of anything else. I mean, we we I had probably a massive list somewhere, and I'll probably think of twenty more. Oh, no, <laughs> I think we gave a lot of shout outs to other movies, yeah. like Taking of Pelham One Two Three. I would say, yeah. uh, see the original. the The new one is okay, but you know, mm -hmm. you're not beating that original movie. The Hot Rock. Speaking of another seventies oh, yeah. movie, I, I enjoy that one quite a bit. Um, yeah, a lot of these great movies. Three Days of the Condor isn't fully a heist movie, but um, it, it's of, I guess it just popped into my head thinking of Soderbergh and the conversation and Out of Sight. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an adjacent film. Uh, yeah. The Thomas Crown Affair we brought up. Yeah. I love the remake. 
What is your the remake's about? awesome? I love the it remake. Is. I'm a big yeah. fan of the remake. I think it's so good. It's so, so good. cool. I've I wrote I wrote about the remake um, in Ooh. terms of like the art collection and connections to the Magritte and and the faceless the image of the faceless businessman and how he's like doing this um, heist kind of and he's trying to be faceless and there's that whole beautiful scene at the end with the bowler hat and there's a bunch of other people. You know, dress like him to divert. Oh, that's great! Attention. Um, I just think it's so cool. And again, Pierce Brosnan, who who was kind of James Bond at the time, and yeah, he was doing. He's having such fun with this, and he was a fun Bond. He was like a really fun Bond. And he was. I think he's, he was great, and I think he's he's having a great time with this. Rene Russo is amazing, and you also have this thing that you wouldn't. I think you know of the time. Two people in their forties, kind yeah. of having like a really hot sex scene, on mm-hmm. you know you wouldn't get that now. Yeah, the, the Rene Russo no. cop would be a woman in her twenties or thirties, mm-hmm. um, and it's just nice to have like these two, you know, old, you know, considered older, like on-screen character who was so good. I mean, they're both so so cool and so you know she, Rene Russo is just amazing anyway um I love her and yeah the, she's great and it's it's so good and it's just again it's just there's a coolness about this film and like his kind of billionaire playboy who's um you know wants to steal you know this you know this painting and he does it in such a James Bond-esque way <laughs> and it's, it's <laughs> just cool and it's fun and you know if you're gonna steal you know why not? It, it like like in Ocean's Eleven, you know, when it's, you know, rip off three of the, the biggest casinos. Why not steal from the Museum of Modern Art <laughs> in broad daylight, you know? Um, and there's just, yeah, something thrilling about it. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're making me want to watch that again. Oh, yeah. I, I love it. Yes. yes. Well, Sabina, this was such a treat. I always enjoy talking to you. So anytime you have an idea, come on back. And yeah, thank thank you you so much for this conversation. No, thank you for having me. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.